0: Who wants to wait around for profitability? Why go through trial and error or throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks instead of getting help to make everything go more smoothly and more quickly and more effectively? Why not?
1: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the founder and principal of Startup Distillery, Diane Tarshus. In today's episode, you will learn how entrepreneurs who are experts in what they do, but have never built a business before, can get the clarity and guidance they need to build a sustainably profitable business, get funded, and fast track success. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Diane Tarshis. Diane is founder of Startup Distillery, where she provides one-on-one startup consulting and business planning to new and new-ish entrepreneurs who are experts in what they do, but have never built a business before. Her clients get the clarity and guidance they need to build a sustainably profitable business, get funded and fast track success. Her background includes a Wharton degree, as well as a broad corporate background that includes a stint on Wall Street, as well as manufacturing operations and retail, all of which informs the work that she does. Diane, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, David. Always good to see you.
1: (laughs) Good to see you too. Why are you focused on startups?
0: So startups happened to me by accident. I grew up in a family where my father was working in corporate America and I knew I wanted to go into business and assumed that I would want to work for a big company too. And then I went to business school and I ended up doing some work with a joint venture between Uh, the Small Business Administration, the SBA and the Wharton School where I was consulting with small business owners in the Philadelphia area. And it was a whole new world. And I loved the personal connection, the one-to-one connection, the ability to see the immediate impact of the advice I was giving and how when my clients would implement it, They would see that it either worked or didn't. Most of the time it worked. And there was just something about the enthusiasm of startup founders, the excitement, the passion and dedication, and the willingness to go all in that was just really inspiring.
1: Yeah, it's very different than what business school trains you for. Right. Even though I've never been to business school, this is what I hear from folks that have.
0: You know, I I was just going to push back on that a little bit because nowadays there really is a lot more variety. I will say that back in the dark ages when I was in school, entrepreneurship wasn't even a word. There was this research center. It was called the Wharton Entrepreneurial Center. And I didn't even know what that meant. And there were really no other experiences there where you could get that kind of exposure. Everything else really was sort of working for the IBMs of the world, you know. And even saying that dates me, but <laughs> that's the way it was.
1: That it is, yeah, it's the way it was. Look, I studied engineering, and engineering school, you're trained to go work for one of the major corporations in the world, right? And be a cog in their wheel.
0: And interestingly, back in those days, it really was this this philosophy of thinking that. Not that you had a job for life per se, but, you know, if you did a good job and you worked for a big company, if you wanted to stay there your whole career, you could. Although while I was in school, like I said, my father was in corporate America and I got to see up close and personal how that was changing. So he was in department store retailing and they were merging and merging again. And there were huge buyouts and huge layoffs that went along with that. And there was a lot of turmoil. And that was really, I think, the beginning of the loss of any kind of illusion of loyalty between the company and the employees. So,
1: Agreed. I felt the same thing. That's why I left engineering. Yeah. (laughs) Right. In my my case, it was due to a layoff that had nothing to do with my performance. It was a change in in, uh, the business climate for my employer, and I and, I don't know, probably 50 to plus other engineers became the victims. And I decided that I wanted to spend my time in a different sector at a minimum, if, if not find a whole new way to make, make a living.
0: Right. And, you know, it's funny, you use the word victim. And usually I'm uh, in a lot of other contexts, I'm like, oh, that's overblown. But I really think that that is the accurate word here. There were so many talented, valuable employees that would be let go at the drop of a hat, uh, whether for good reason or bad. And watching all of this just made me realize that I wanted to become master of my own destiny. I mean that that was ultimately it. And uh, when I talk to people who are not afraid to take that leap of faith, which is what's needed when you start your own business, you know I'm the biggest cheerleader for anyone and everyone who is even marginally inclined to, to take that leap to do it. It is so gratifying. It is risky. It is scary. But if you take the right steps, which is not to wing it, <laughs> but to actually do your homework, to develop a plan and then act on it and implement it. If you make sure to work with experts who can help you avoid the expensive mistakes, et cetera, then you're reducing your risk. And so, you know, you just have to be smart about it. But the payoff is just wonderful, both in terms of lifestyle and hopefully financially.
1: Um, I couldn't agree with you more. And I would say, you know, reacting to what you've just described, I think that the scariness factor is much bigger than the risk factor. Particularly if you do the things you've just described, which is have a plan, get some help where you're where you don't have strengths seek out experts that can ensure that your business plan is more likely to succeed
0: you know there's a there's a piece here aside from getting help with the parts where you may not be strongest there is that emotional component i was speaking to someone this morning it's kind of fun from lagos nigeria <laughs> and she wants to start this business She's working full time. She has this expertise in this area where, you know, she thinks she can really make a go of it. And I agree, but it is really scary. And what's interesting, too, is that I find this more with women than with men, but I don't think women think big enough either. And so between the fear factor and then not thinking big enough, some people really shoot themselves in the foot before they've even started. So a lot of what I end up doing, and I am guessing that you do this too, David, is act as a sounding board to say, what you're saying makes sense. This is a good idea. Here's how to make it even better. Or if you take this action, maybe change this one aspect of it or whatever it is, but giving this feedback to lend assurance to the fact that they're on the right path or on the occasions when that's not the case, helping them avoid pitfalls and, you know, unexpected disasters and so on. But that emotional aspect is such a big part of what I do, of, you know, somebody recently on a call was talking about how they have anxiety providing services to people and they want to develop products that they can offer Behind the scenes, instead of having that interaction. But when we delved deeper, it turns out that what they were calling anxiety, I would call confidence. They had a lack of confidence because they had a lack of experience in being in charge, being the CEO of their own consulting business. They weren't used to it. And I said, you know, that's like, you know, the definition of bravery is. It's not that there's no fear. It's that you're pushing through the fear. And the same thing goes with this, where you just have to push through that feeling of not feeling confident of, you know, imposter syndrome, et cetera, because with that experience comes confidence. And so to avoid what could potentially be a fabulous move for your business simply because it's uncomfortable is in my mind, a mistake.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I'm going to echo what you said about women, because I also see this with women more than with men is not just not thinking big enough, but this plays into what you just described with the confidence piece, which is not feeling sufficiently confident in their own value and thus Mm -hmm. charging too little.
0: Well, you know what I said to this woman this morning? I said, so whatever you're thinking of charging, and I I don't know what she's thinking of charging, but whatever the pricing is that you have in your mind, double it. I don't even need to know what the number is, but I can tell you, right? So same thing, women don't charge enough. They undervalue. I can also speak to, uh, and I fall into this camp and fight it myself of, feeling that I have to be totally 100% prepared before I embark on something new. And that is just not the way men are wired. And, And women have to push past that and try to break that habit. And I have to fight with myself, but I do it. But it is amazing how, you know, there are these gender differences. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about sort of the nuts and bolts of what you do. And I know that one of the important factors that you work on is helping new business owners build sustainability in record time. Why is building sustainability in record time so important?
0: Listen, we're not getting any younger, sad to say. <laughs> but, you know, I, <laughs> I'm i stumbling over my words because I don't want this to sound snarky, but why wait? I mean, Who wants to wait around for profitability? Why go through trial and error or throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks instead of getting help to make everything go more smoothly and more quickly and more effectively? Why not?
1: So what are some things that new business owners can do to bring sustainability in record time?
0: Well, I could tell you that a big thing that I see across industries, across genders, across, you name it, in really so many scenarios, is that people, new founders, put the cart before the horse and they focus on what I call the sexy stuff, which is branding and marketing and maybe a website and depending on their generation, social media, that's all the, the fun, sexy stuff. That's step two, Step one is having a plan. You've got to have some sort of foundation, building blocks, and really understand the elements of your business. What is the problem that you've identified in the marketplace? How is your solution going to make a difference? What does your solution look like? Why are people going to pay for it? So a lot of times people start out with the sort of branding and the marketing which is the stuff that looks good, but they haven't really zeroed in or dialed into who it is they're serving and why, and why those people need whatever it is or will want whatever it is that they're offering. So they've got this cool website or this gorgeous branding, and they don't know who they're speaking to, and nobody's listening, and therefore nobody's buying because they put the cart before the horse. So you really have to do your homework or a kid around and say, or eat your broccoli and, you know, do the initial foundational work of coming up with a plan that then you can act on and implement. But anything short of that is winging it, which never, that that ends in disaster every time, so.
1: So what's an example or a story of someone that has created sustainability in record time?
0: You know, my my favorite client is probably it's ironic that it is a distillery. I work with all different industries, but it is in fact a distillery. And he always comes to mind because I I keep getting emails from him (laughs) even after all these years. So I worked with a man who had, he's actually a US citizen, but he's been working um, his entire career overseas in France and England. And he had this side interest in whiskey and ended up, He was living in England at the time and decided he wanted to start a distillery and make Scots-style single malt whiskey. And he did it the right way. So instead of thinking about the branding and the marketing and maybe even the products that he wanted to make, we started at the beginning to figure out who it is he's serving, who his ideal customers are, what revenue streams he wanted to establish in order to get the business off the ground, because there's a long wait time for whiskey. It has to be stored for three years. And so those three years that it's in the barrels aging, you're not bringing in any revenue. So how's he going to develop a business model that can sustain the business during those years when he's waiting for revenue to come in? So, you know, we figured out, okay, Let's add a product in where there is no aging. So gin. let's add some additional revenue streams. Uh, He developed a visitor center that ended up being very robust with tours, et cetera. Developed a real, I want to say, referral marketing plan in that he developed these incredible relationships, not only with his neighbors, he's in the Cotswolds, but with his suppliers, and a lot of cross-referring going on there. So then, you know, we talked about product mix in a way that was going to bring in revenue, particularly during those initial three years. And then also strategies for getting his name out there. So entering competitions, he got a ton of publicity because he he developed a really, I want to say delicious recipe for the gin and it became multi-award winning So he has since become, so it's been nine years, he has become the single largest single malt whiskey producer in England. So, and that happened just at the end of this year. So just recently, he is doing incredibly well.
1: And I could see how thinking about the actual financial structure over several years made a huge difference.
0: Yeah, he really, I mean, he still needed investors. So that was required no matter what, because this is big dollars to buy those huge stills. They're huge Scottish pot stills. He does his distilling in the traditional way. But I will tell you, you know, many had gone before who crashed and burned because it just became too financially burdensome to wait those three years. You know, and even then you have to make sure that you sell what you've been aging for all those years. So I have another client who is in the pet insurance industry. So he came from an insurance background and developed what I am pretty sure was the first app-based pet insurance that was available in the U.S. So the whole idea is it's basically a tech business built around pet insurance. and. He came to me, he's probably the only client that's come to me where he said, I'm cool with the financials. I've got that down. So I really only worked on the conceptual side of his business plan. And there were so many elements to his concept. So It's pet insurance. Great. It's going to be an app on the phone. Great. Well, how's that going to work exactly? And what features do you want it to have? And so that's where reality had to meet the sort of fantasy dream in terms of what would work technologically and what wouldn't, and also what would be meaningful to the customer. So the app was going to be able to, you know, take a picture of the receipts and immediately upload it for, you know, the insurance claim process, being able to immediately see the closest vet, emergency vet in your area, you know, the closest parks, uh, resources for your pet, being able to follow your claim process all the way through on the app. So just even developing the product itself, as well as the financial aspects of it and who his target customers were. They weren't going to be the people in their... 50s, they were really going to be the people in their 20s and 30s. And so it was a matter of really dialing into that. And how is he going to reach them? And what is this app going to look like? And let's talk about usability. And who's going to be part of his management team? And what are they going to do? And who's going to report to whom? And it's all the ugly nuts and bolts. It's the unsexy stuff.
1: That leads to business success. Yeah, I know. I I get that. And actually, I want to ask you... um, how this may be relevant for an expert-based business that particularly like a, a solopreneur consultant that's mm-hmm. coming out of the corporate world and starting a business for the first time. So the, the challenge for these people is not delivering great results to clients because they've been doing this for usually for decades. The only thing that's different for them is that instead of doing it on behalf of an employer, they're now doing it in their own small business. and they've never run a business before. So there's, there's a lot that's new, but what frameworks are are critical to getting to sustainability in record time when you're starting a consulting business?
0: I would say there are two aspects involved. One is the conceptual and one is the financial. So conceptually speaking, it does get back to what is the problem you're solving for paying customers? So Consultants need to be the consultants I work with, usually come to me and they're being too general. <laughs> so
1: I've seen that many times.
0: Right. They're not niching down enough to be very specific. So, in other words, by comparison, you know, I work with very early, early, early stage entrepreneurs, you know, right at the idea stage or within that first year or two. You know, there are so many startup consultants that work with later stage companies, a variety of stages. So, you know, as with any consulting business, you really have to niche down and focus on who your audience is and what are their pain points exactly. But there are also these other aspects of what exactly are you going to deliver and in what fashion. So you could be working on an hourly basis. You could work on a retainer basis. You could work on a flat fee basis. You can even work on a, it's a business model that actually I'm implementing now where it is a one day intensive experience. So they're called VIP days. So one of the new, I'll take a a step back for a minute. So I recently became an empty nester And David, you've heard me. I've been undergoing this whole business restructuring. And so I was like, okay, there's one offering that I have that I want to change for this next phase of my business life. And I stumbled upon the VIP day, which I think is just an amazing business model. So in the next three to five years, I am going to stop offering custom business plans and instead focus on. These one-day intensives called VIP days. So that's where it's you know everything is sort of souped up and targeted on this this one day. You know, it, intensive is the right word. So any consultant who is developing a new business needs to decide what do they want their business model to look like at least right now, and then also.
1: Which is an internal thing that's not focused on necessarily on who the target market is.
0: Exactly. And then there's also the customer experience. What do you want the customer experience to look like? That involves a lot of back-end work also. So that involves um, systems not only related to your website, but how your customers will interact with your website. David, you have an amazing system that I've seen you refine over the short time that we've known each other, where there are these really wonderful emails, you know, before the podcast recording, where all of the information is provided. It is very clear. There is a process. There are reminder emails that provide all the information you need, you know, all of it automated. That doesn't happen by magic. That happens through planning and deciding what you want the customer experience to look like and even though i'm a podcast guest i am still a customer in terms of this relationship you know it's still the same idea of of being a customer how do you want to treat other people what do you want to them to experience in their interactions with you and your company so there are those aspects and then there's the fun stuff which is the financial stuff and i would say Close to a hundred percent of business owners <laughs> like to avoid that side of of being the CEO of their own business. And even if you're flying solo, you are still the CEO, and you need to address the financial picture and be in charge of the financial side of your business. And the key spreadsheet for that, in my mind, is the cash flow statement, and it is critically important. To put together a meaningful, accurate cash flow projection spreadsheet in order to keep tabs of how your expenses relate to your revenues. Now you're projecting forward. And so, one of the things that I love about the cash flow projections, a cash flow projection spreadsheet, is that it is a wonderful tool for benchmarking and planning your planning out your revenue goals. So you're just starting out with your consulting business. Let's say you have three offerings, offering A, B, and C. How many of A do you want to sell in quarters one, two, three, and four? End of B, end of C. And taking into account the fact that, you know, in the first few months of your business, it's going to be tough. So, you know, estimate low low revenues as you build up your business. And maybe let's, you know, I'm thinking of like psychiatrists in New York and how they all leave New York for the month of August. At least that was always the tradition. So, you know, what if your consulting business is similar? What if your clients all go on vacation for the month of August? That's gonna impact your revenue stream. Maybe it's holiday season when we're talking now. And so maybe the month of December is a slow month because everyone's on vacation or taking off work from December 20th till January 2nd. So all of these things need to be taken into account along with on the expense side, those things that we were talking about relative to client experience. So are you buying software to help Automate your processes, CRM, client relationship management software, email platform software. I mean, God, the list could go on and on as to what you could spend your money on. Hiring experts, uh, you know, you name it. You've got to factor all of that in. So all of this is expensive. So anyway, there you have it.
1: (laughs) Sounds great. I want to actually shift gears and and talk about community for a minute. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about your own experience with community and business?
0: You know, I want to say I love community. Working as a solopreneur um, can be lonely, even even though I'm talking to clients all day long. It's nice to talk to others who are in similar boats, whether they're consultants or not, to me, doesn't matter. I, I think it's talking to fellow business owners is, you know, the support, the camaraderie, the advice (laughs) that one can get from uh, one's colleagues. You know, it's really, um, it means a lot. It's helpful to know you're not alone. What's fascinating to me is that there are so many different kinds of communities and you have to choose ones that are right for you. So this is going to sound like an ad for you, David, and Smashing the Plateau community. I will say that I was part of a different community this year that ended up not being a good fit because it was frankly more corporate, I want to say, filled with lots of attorneys, insurance people. They were just not my people. Whereas the Smashing the Plateau community was filled with people who were or are, they haven't gone anywhere, are... Um, yeah, we're still here. Yeah, thank goodness. But the people in your community are not only for me more relatable, but really supportive. There wasn't that transactional feeling to the relationships at all. And one of your major talents is facilitating conversation. And so there've been some great conversations that have really made me think and That's hard to do in some of these, I want to say, online communities. So that to me is huge. And then I found another type of community with a group of women, you know, so they're all different types of communities. So I highly recommend it.
1: Uh, Thank you for sharing that. So before we close out, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wanted to share?
0: Oh, boy. Not that I could think of. Okay.
1: If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed or access resources that you have or get in touch with you, what's the best place for them to go do that?
0: Well, the best place is always my website, uh, StartupDistillery.com. I offer free, I call them discovery calls. So you want to talk for an hour and, you know, find out whether it might be worth working together or just finding out you know, you have a question and (laughs) what the heck should I do next? I will spend an hour and talk with you. So go to startupdistillery.com slash calendar. You can book an appointment. Easy peasy.
1: Sounds great. And I encourage listeners to take Diane up on that because um, she's an incredible resource of all kinds of helpful stuff.
0: You are too kind. Thank you so much. (laughs) Uh,
1: So Diane, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again on Smashing the Plateau and um, just share what you're up to and and your insights and as well as some some great strategies and tips for those that are trying to reach sustainability in record time. My guest today has been the founder and principal of Startup Distillery, Diane Tarshis. Thank you, Diane, for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, David.
1: When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Diane Tarshis, we learned how entrepreneurs who are experts in what they do but have never built a business before can get the clarity and guidance they need to build a sustainably profitable business, get funded, and fast-track success. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Kahn. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.